Welcome to Foreman and Wolf on Food and Wine. I'm Tony Foreman. And Chef Cindy Wolf. And we're live today. We're taking your calls, 410-662-8780. Or email us, foremanwolf at wypr.org. And Cindy, it has to be one of the biggest growing things, especially in the last 10 years, has been the idea of pairing food and wine together. Right. I mean, the popularity of that. Think of it now versus 10 years ago. So we want to spend some time today just on some on how we do that, but also some things that are contra people's intuition. (laughs) And honestly, I would love to hear from listeners what their perfect pairing is also, but especially what what's the wackiest thing that really worked well for them. Mm hmm. That's you fun. Know. I like that. And pairings are, you know, I, I, I well, and also I'm curious to figure, see how people figure out how to do pairings at home because, you know, obviously you do pairings for my menu. And um, I, I, I think it would be interesting to hear what their process is. Do they listen to perhaps, a, a, you know, a show or read something or do they just, you know, head to their wine shop and listen to what that person says or, you know, where, how do they figure it out? I'd like to hear that as well. I mean, there's a certain... There are different segments of consumers on these things, you know. Um, there, there are those that this is what I like to drink. And they don't consider the dishes. There are those that are, this is what I like to eat. And then I'll consider the wine. But as I'll often say to guests, it, it's a little bit like music and dancing, right? Mm-hmm. If it's a ballet and your specialty is country line dancing, (laughs) you may be great at it, and it may be beautiful music, but you're probably going to look kind of silly, and you may not enjoy it as much as you could. Mm -hmm. So so how how about, what's a good example of something for you that really, that that impressed you, surprised you? Because I, I think of you as being, one, extremely honest about these things, like I, I know exactly what you don't like. Mm-hmm. Um, That's pretty much but, about everything in life. But, but yeah, no, you're you're pretty clear, <laughs> right? You're, you're pretty clear. No one's gonna no one's gonna accuse you of subterfuge mm-hmm. or being um, wishy washy. Yeah, yeah. So, what what huh. what is something that like su- surprised you? Like nailed the relationship became more important than one or the other. I, I, I think that really some of the first times for me serious wine tasting occurred were would have been on our first trips to France when we tasted with winemakers. And uh, I think the information that they gave out while we were tasting and understanding how important their local cooking was to their thought process in making their wines was one of the greatest moments for me as a chef because I could see the respect that the winemaker had for their food. And I <clears throat> have to admit, I was a little bit used to maybe having met winemakers in our country. And it, at that time, which was around 1994, 
um, that first time you and I went to California, I really felt like those winemakers were all about technology. I didn't get a scent like they were they were all about, oh, you know, we've got this new piece of equipment or whatever. And and of course, they're about their wine, but but they were very excited about and understandably so about their techniques and the new things that were happening. For me, I'm an old soul. I like to hear about old things. So when we went to France right after that, we were in Champagne directly after that California trip and getting to to hear them talk the way they did and knowing that they're well. And also, to be fair, how long has California been producing wine versus how long has France been producing wine? So of course, <laughs> you know, the, the French are riddled with old techniques and have been doing this for what, thousands of years, you know, and, uh, no, so they, they, they've been doing it ever since the Italians taught them. Oh, okay. So there, <laughs> <laughs> so, but yeah. So, so for me, those first wines that I really tasted that I felt, you know, were paired with something perfectly were when we were in Champagne and then the next trip would have been the Southern Rhone Valley and through Burgundy. And I really, really identify with the Southern Rhone, Northern Rhone and Burgundy wines greatly. I love the wines of those regions. So understanding and also having been there, I understand what the land looks like, what the temperatures are like at different times of the year, because I've been there at different times of the year, as have you. And just an understanding of of why the wine is the way it is, and uh, from soil to technique, um, and to to what really it pairs well with, which is, of course, the food of the region. So to have... Um, you know, truffles. I, I know I talk about them a lot, but that's, that is something that sticks out <laughs> in my mind. The first time we had truffles and having wine with truffles or having uh, something that I would always eat when in Burgundy would be snails, you know, a, a wine that just beautifully went with snails. I mean, to enhance it, to, 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 to have a perfect marriage between the food and the wine is such an, uh, I don't I want to say uplifting, but I don't know what the right word is, but it's such a, a wonderful experience because you really do recognize that wine needs food and food need wa- needs wine. Well, and they benefit from each other. You're, you're talking about a little bit of the, the, the old adage of it grows together, it goes together. Mm-hmm. And that does work, but there's a lot of nuance to it as well. If mm-hmm. you wanted to drink uh, red burgundy with your escargot, so Pinot Noir is the red grape in Bur- Burgundy. You, you would need one that was not particularly tannic. So you probably want something from the Côte de Beaune, uh, further south, which are usually a little bit lighter, more charming. Uh, Volnay or a simple Bourgogne Rouge from a, a riper year, like 18 or 19, and there's some very good values in those. Um, but that that that's very different than the Burgundy that you might want for, uh, you know, a steak free. Uh, uh, mm-hmm. steak and french fries you know that mm-hmm. sure that that's that's a very different job to do so that so step one is the kind of if it grows together it goes together that that's that's a good clue uh the second one i would say is just the purely functional like is there balance between the wine and the dish and then the third big sort of pillar are the flavors. Do, do you like the flavors together? Yeah. Right. You know, that that's the the other thing. And and just because something, oh, this is red berries and that is red berries, it, it might be just completely boring, you know. But if you like your red berries with something a little bit nutty, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. this particular Amontillado sherry might work. You know what I mean? That, that, oh, gosh, I'm in love with Amontillado sherry. 
So there's, there's, yeah. uh, that's, you'll have to introduce me to him sometime. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, sorry, I'm using myself. Um, but, but I, I think those are three pretty good guidelines. When, when you overdo structural elements for what's actually there, regardless of whether it's from the same place, you know, think about uh, the other thing that, that you, you, you always talk about are veal sweetbreads, right? Mm-hmm. How much fat are in veal sweetbreads? Well, what's your answer there, to that? Very, very did you say very little? Okay. Very yeah. little. But they yeah. feel rich on the palate. That's that's but, the difference, but, even though there is no fat. Yeah. But, but tannin, you know, the the sort of rough chalky business that you notice on your teeth and your mouth, mm-hmm. uh, that 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 dry the palate, not just acidity that it's a type of acidity that actually has a little chew to it and dries the palate a little bit differently from the acidity that's like bright, fresh, like an apple or you know, something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that those those are functions that, that they need something to offset them. Tannin needs some fat, or it doesn't really have a job to do, and it becomes a dominant factor. Okay. Just like if there's a dish that and doesn't want something with, if you have a dish that has very little acidity to it, if you have a wine that has a great deal of acidity to it. Oftentimes, that that's a little bit of a struggle to find. I mean, finding the balance is the most fun exploration, period. Mm-hmm. But there, there's sort of I think those three approaches are good approaches to at least take a shot. You know, it grows together. It goes together. You know what 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 are the flavor associations, and then what what's the function? What do you need it to do? Mm-hmm. If you're having oysters. Do you want it to be an okay Chardonnay? Think about oysters on the half shell and vanilla. That doesn't appeal to me. Not at all. Right. For, for, flavor, for flavor reasons. Mm-hmm. And the alcohol tends to be high on West Coast Chardonnay, which also means it's going to be big and oily on the palate. So for another, you know, both functional reason as well as, and that would be weirdly dominant with the salinity of the delicate oyster, right? Mm-hmm. Right. So, if that makes sense. Yeah. But- but let's hear from let's hear from some uh, some listeners. Let's hear what what the pairings are that work for them, that don't work for them. What's that rule that they've been taught that they don't like? You know, <laughs> no rules. Well, no. I mean, it should just be you're just pleased by. You know, like what what are you pleased by? Right. So that what what is a dish that you would like paired? Let's we can we can do a couple of examples if you like. You're asking me? <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, I'm not, I'm not talking to anybody else right now. I think um, one of the things that I think is super, to me, seems super tricky. Like if I had guests over, I really don't know what I would put with, I mean, I know we serve it and I should know what we have on the menu, but um, <clears throat> if I was going to serve ceviche, which is so high acidity, you know, what do we serve with something like that versus if I do salmon tartare, which feels very fatty on the palate and might only have a tiny bit of acidity. And oftentimes I'll put avocado with salmon when I make salmon tartare. So let's say toasted bene seeds, avocado, salmon, chives, a tiny bit of lime juice, extra virgin olive oil, salt and pepper, salt and pepper versus the, you know, immersed in lemon and lime juice, you know, jalapeno, red onion, cilantro, uh, version of ceviche. 
with say well, scallops instead of okay. shrimp. Yeah. So that that's a really good question in comparison because the you you have very different fish and or very different seafood and you have very different preparations, right? So mm-hmm. salmon uh, you have decent strength of flavor. It's because it has a lot of fat and that fat has good flavor. Uh, salmon in, in cooked preparations often will want a lighter red wine more than it wants a white. And if it wants a white, regardless, it wants something with some power to it. Uh, spice is a factor that that wants acidity to be lower mm-hmm. uh, in things. So if it has any real spice to it, um, you, you want it to to be something that's a little bit fruity and the acid to be a little bit lower. Um, salmon tartar, and I don't know, you said avocado? Yes, toasted sesame. So there's there's a lavishness to that on the mm-hmm. palate as well as the salmon, right? Right. Um, onion product, anything else strong? Just chives. I never just put anything chives. strong in there because yeah. I want to taste the salmon. Just just checking. So, yep, so yep. it's really just about showing off the salmon mm-hmm. and that that strength of flavor. I mean, something rich but soft is is likely what you want. Uh, gosh. I mean, if there was a very good uh, sp- uh, sparkling vouvre, I think would be really, really nice. Uh, nice to have the bubbles, a little, little bit of lift. The bubbles act like more acidity. Uh, Chenin Blanc has really bright, charming flavors. It can be a little bit citric. Salmon likes that, that, those sorts of flavors. I don't know if you want exotic fruit with that so much. Um, there are white wines from the Northern Rhone Valley, uh, from Saint Joseph or Saint Perret that are mostly Marsan, that are r- rich in texture, a little stern uh, in some ways, but I think they have the, exactly the right intensity to match that kind of thing, especially if they're young and they're, they're a little bit of fruity charm there. Um, there's also in, in Spain, uh, and we served this a lot recently, uh, there is a, a, a producer, uh, there's a grape called Godejo from the northwest of Spain, from, uh, from well, at, we'll just say Galicia in general. And, and there are excellent producers of that grape, Godejo, uh, that, that have charm, uh, Something, something citrus on the palate, and uh, and and maybe even a little bit of a nuttiness. That might be, there's almost like a green almond character that's there, and there's some body to it. That may be if it's if it's like the first thing that you have that salmon that that uh, salmon tartar. That might be a, a that can be followed by a richer white wine if necessary, but still have good presence. So that's fun. That's how I would think about that. Okay. With a, with a ceviche, you need something more acid, brighter, sharper. Uh, you could use uh, a German Riesling, a Trocken. Uh, so you, you have the, the, the fruitiness and the charm on the nose, uh, but you, you, you don't have the sugar and you, and you do have a very sharp acid that's there. Uh, the other thing that I would do with ceviche, and it's going to sound kind of odd, and it's only from having done it, um, there's a grape that I know is not your favorite, Viognier. Uh, the home of Viognier in, uh, in France is Condrieu. Uh, I think Viognier is often a really, really good sushi match. 
Okay. Uh, um, in Kondryuan, like you want to spoil yourself, get really good sushi, get a bottle of Kondryuan. Uh, cold, not too cold. Super exotic fruit, aromatic. Uh, scallops are inherently sweet, right? Almost corny. Definitely. Um, if, if there's an American producer that's making Viognier uh, that has really good ripeness, that uses some new oak, that has a lot of that exotic edge, then Chardonnay likes scallops. Uh, but I, I, think, I think the Viognier would do better in this particular situation. And on sort of, I don't know, almost counterintuitively, the, that's totally uh, dominated by flavor, harmony. It's not about the acid matchup in that situation. In the end, there's no real competing with uh, the acid in the ceviche. Have you ever heard anybody else say they don't like Viognier? Am I the only one? You're one of. Okay. You're one of the only ones. I mean, I put really marvelous chondria in front of you. I said, here, gosh, this is magical. Taste this. And you've made a face <laughs> like I've given you a dirty diaper. So, Well, pretty much. Not that. But it's just there's some sort of... <clears throat> excuse me, soapy element to it. There's something weird about it to me, and it always strikes my palate immediately. Um, and what, what, it, what, why do you think that is? I'm just curious, well, but did, did, this may be boring to, if I'm the only person in the world that doesn't know. like Viognier. Uh, didn't you used to say that about cilantro? And I did turn, used to that, not that, like cilantro. Yeah, I have and, and then not learned turn, like uh, Viognier. But I love of, cilantro. A, a lot of people will say they just can't stand cilantro, and it's because... Yeah. It has this soapy flavor. So, yeah, yeah, okay. Now, I, I wonder if uh, this is this is wrong going to be patronizing. I, I wonder <laughs> if you're going to grow out of the no, I'm never Vion, gonna, your Viognier no, problem. No, it's not a childish you, reaction. The way, the way that you did. <laughs> it's an educated palate <laughs> reaction. That's what it is. Turn it, let's, Tony. Um, let's go to a listener email. Uh, this is from Roger in Charles Village. I've heard you use the metaphor of music and dance, and it makes total sense to me. I am curious about mashups. Roger's getting tricky. For example, <laughs> finding that a bolero and a waltz are both in three-quarter time, although from different regions, you can successfully lay them on top of each other and it works. Hmm. Are there any multi-regional or multi-style mashups that come to mind when you think of food and wine? Uh, I think of a spicy shrimp ceviche from South America and alborino from Portugal. Uh, that's an excellent thought, Roger, that, that there is almost no white wine in South America that's going to give you the acid necessary for that ceviche. Um, oh, I mean, that's our Sonoma Coast Pinot Noir from a really good producer like Dellinger, um, you know, or Aubert or, or somebody like that that makes a richer style. And, and salmon that's been treated, uh, that, that has a red wine sauce or that has mushrooms on the plate, that salmon that, that is in a preparation that feels close to the earth somehow, uh, as long as you don't have strong vegetables, like you throw Brussels sprouts on there, that kills it. Mm -hmm. If you put uh, asparagus on there, just don't put asparagus on there. Uh, asparagus is its own thing and it should be its own dish. And, and that's uh, mushrooms own. would be good, right? Yeah, mushrooms make sense. Uh, root vegetables make sense. Uh, beans certainly make sense. If there's bean with a little bit of pork product, there's a nod in your direction, Cindy. Mm -hmm. uh, that would make sense. So, but that's, 
Yeah, that, there's, there's no problem. The, the rules are not, I'm not giving you rules. I'm giving you guidelines so you can play. And hopefully they help you think about uh, how to do those things. And your example of the, the, the ceviche uh, and the albarino is a good one. I, w I would say, uh, besides the albarino, uh, whether from Portugal or from Spain and Rias Baixas, uh, look for more Galician whites as well. They certainly will work. There are wines from a grape called Vechadora in Ribeiro. And this is a small region, but there are excellent wines coming out of it. R-I-B-E-I-R-O, Ribeiro, uh, in that northwest corner of Spain that would also function. And maybe a little bit fatter with the ceviche. So if there was a little bit of a sweet element or fruity element in that, might be more successful. So we've got another one from Lawrence. Uh, Tony, I think we have to go to break. We do. Well, we can okay. do that we'll when we back come to back. Lawrence. Okay. We'll come back to Lawrence. All right. When we come back on Formula Wolf on Food and Wine, it's all about pairings. And we will get into the uh, does red wine work with fish uh, oh, question or controversy. All right. On uh, Formula Wolf on Food and Wine on WYPR. Welcome back to Foreman and Wolf on Food and Wine. I'm Tony Foreman. And Chef Cindy Wolf. And we're live today. You can join us. We're talking about pairings. What are your favorite pairings? What's the most in surprise one for you? Uh, you know, do you, do you drink uh, margaritas with your steak? Uh, <laughs> Woohoo! You know, does, <laughs> do, you, do, you, do you have to have Dr. Pepper with your filet mignon? That's, oh, you know, God. let us... Let us know. Give us your <laughs> give us your weird stuff. That's that's part of that's what I'm hoping for on this anyway. Yeah, I would like to have um, some weird some, stuff. Some, some of the odd stuff, and that we also had some, you know, brilliant emails so far. But you can reach us 410-662-8780. 410-662-8780 or email us foremanwolf at wypr.org. So Cindy, you're a champagne person. I am. So what are the best things you've ever had with champagne and you cannot say caviar? Oysters. Oysters, um, any fried food, quite frankly. Um, we, we recently started uh, doing, we, I've talked, we've talked about on the radio show before about our beignet batter that's very unusual. It's more almost like a tempura batter. And so it's really light. And uh, one night we, we, we have been doing it with clams. Oh my gosh. And it's just mm. like magic. I mean, it's just so beautiful because it's so light. It's almost, almost, you know, just, you can't believe that. It's almost like a little clam trapped in glass that's edible. It's just so gorgeous. And so then one night I'm like, oh gosh, please make me some oysters that way. And I, I almost cried when I ate those things. They were so good. So uh, that with champagne is just oh, so unbelievable. But um, with a rosé champagne, I love to have beef tenderloin with a, a really great rosé. Uh, so, um, you know, if I'm doing something like, like, not a reduction sauce, uh, you know, not only a reduction sauce, you know, maybe it has, um, I'm trying to think, maybe uh, with rosé champagne, 
probably a reduction with a little bit of cognac and a little bit of cream. So the sauce is lightened. It's not just straight reduction. And then, you know, it could be mushrooms on the plate, like chanterelles or something like that. But I love, I love being able to have a, a, a great champagne with meat. So I also think of some lamb dishes that I've done that had saffron basmati rice and pomegranate molasses. And I think a rosé champagne went really well with that. For me, I, I mean, you know, that's what I like. Um, but for champagne, um, I mean, honestly, quite frankly, I can drink champagne with anything. Um, even if I'm making chicken and curry, I'll probably have a glass of champagne and it'll be beautiful because it, to me, it, it cuts through the curry and the richness of the dish because often if I do chicken with curry, it's going to have cream in it. And um, that, that a bit of uh, champagne acidity, I, th- I really like. And sometimes I cook with it too. So I might actually add what I'm drinking to the dish. When you're drinking to the dish? What I'm drinking to the dish? Oh. <laughs> like, no. <laughs> I might deglaze the pan with a little bit of wine that I'm drinking. So yeah, it's uh, yum. That makes sense. That 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 trip in '94, um, we had a lunch at uh, a Michelin mm-hmm. one star, mm-hmm. and I recall distinctly having a rosé champagne with a, a lamb course. That because there was there was no heavy sauce, mm-hmm. it was just beautifully cooked, and the natural jeu was on the plate, and the rosé champagne. It people think. Rosé, they immediately think, oh, it's going to be sweet. Right. Right. And and it it does not have to be. I mean, there are rosé champagne that are a little bit sweeter. Uh, like Ruinard comes to mind. Okay. You know. Or, or, I love or Ruinard. Rosé mm-hmm. comes to mind. But there are drier styles as well. Um, you know, Eugle Yorier, Gonnet Medville, that have, and both of those have a little more power. They have more um Pinot Noir and Pinot Meunier, and and those things. There's not tannin necessarily, but the, but there is some of that density that actually, and of course there is the acidity that cuts through the the fat and the intensity that stands up to the flavor of the lamb. But if you had a very heavy sauce, you're dead. Right. That, that's that's okay. that's not going to work. Yeah. It's just like it's it's the opposite of if, if you had that salmon and it was, you know, with just like a chai butter or something, then there's no Pinot that's not going to dominate that too much. Sure. Sure. It's got to be a red wine prep. I'm curious, what do you drink with Oof's Murette since it's eggs poached in red wine? What, what do you then drink with it? Because it's so... The whole dish, the sauce has red wine and reduction in it. You know, it's got a garnish of, of uh, lardon and onions, like little pearl onions or cipollinis. Oh my gosh! I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna give your you, your answer, and the answer to Lawrence's email uh, at the same time, and I'm gonna explain why. <laughs> so Lawrence's email says, "What would you pair with steeplechase tailgate food?" <laughs> oh, fun. Yep, scotch eggs, cold fried chicken. Oh, that's funny. Hard okay. cheese. Oh. Early afternoon. Fun. Mm. The other wine, the other wine that is probably the most flexible besides champagne with food, uh, and maybe maybe the most flexible, certainly of red wines, is Beaujolais. Good Beaujolais. Mm. You're in excellent vintages right now. The prices are moderate, uh, just for Beaujolais Village. 
that, that we're not talking about Beaujolais Nouveau that comes out third Thursday in November, but either Beaujolais Village or one of the actual villages, one of the crew. With the crew in Beaujolais, you can drink really first-class wine for not very big money. They will age some villages more than others, uh, but that, that can handle a lot of different dishes. When you think about uh, French bistro cooking, whether it's Oupmurette or a, a pâté or a, a, a steak with a poached egg on it or, a, you know, some, a, some kind of a pork and bean dish, basically, mm-hmm. you know, or duck confit or a variety of sausages. Like, all of those things do well with the fruitiness and the, the breadth uh, and the, the body, especially of the bigger crew Beaujolais. Okay. Gamay acts a little bit like Syrah, but it's just not as stern. It is a lot. It's it's a lot more fun for a party. You know, Syrah needs to like to age, mature, and actually gain some personality. Okay. Gamay is fun from out of the gate, and uh, it honestly, for not big money, you could be a very big wine nerd and work your way through all the different crews. Start with someone much more charming, Juliana. Saint-Amour, Chéroule, you know, and then get to the more serious ones later on. Morgan, uh, Fleury, Moulin-Avant, uh, Côte-Brie. That, all, you know, that there are very individual and very fun wines. And you have the bonus right now of being able to kind of like just throw a dart. And most of what you're going to hit is going to be from 16, 18, or 19 19 vintage is very special, just like it is in a lot of Riesling in Europe. Uh, that that that's certainly something to know. But I mean, you you want to have a little little you you you're pandemic tired. You you have some friends that have been vaccinated. You want to have a little something on the porch. Uh, make something very easy. Make you know bistro food, easy food. Pick three different crews from the same vintage, from different producers. It's not big money. And taste them together. That's funny because now that we can some, you know, we can get together a little bit now. I was thinking, which I was wondering what you would do with hors d'oeuvres or antipasta or so that's good. So you're you're saying Beaujolais. What else would you do with you know when people are first coming over and you're sort of standing up, probably still attempting to distance some. Um, what else besides the Beaujolais would you like? Especially well, I mean, something that's not too expensive. That would be fun to well, know. The the best value for money in in wine, especially white wine, is Alsace. Okay. Uh, the, there are very simple, modestly priced Pinot Blanc uh, or Sylvaner or Auxerrois uh, from excellent producers like Fuchs. Uh, and yes, that is spelled F-U-C-H-S. <laughs> or... Um, uh, Roli Gasman, which literally is spelled like Gasman. Oh, gee. Um, I'm going to have to work on um, the names. That, you know, or Sipmac, which is. I love Sipmac. Not good. Not, not, not remotely, even through, uh, through joking, <laughs> offendable, but the, the, those producers make excellent, relatively modestly priced, uh, very food flexible, you know, first something. No oak, alcohol is not high. Uh, lighter, charming, wants a little bit of food, likes that first little snack that you give folks. So we've got another question here from uh, a listener. I am curious about sweet wines, port, Moscato. How much versatility do they have? Uh, 
can they only really be paired with dessert? Can you imagine another usage where you might find yourself saying, you know what? This sweet wine is perfect for this dish. Mm-hmm. And yeah, absolutely. That's, well, yeah, that's so the, the, the classic match is Sauterne for foie gras. Though I think Sauterne and, and to me with cold foie gras is, is much better um, than with the, the, the hot stuff, but it really depends upon the preparation. Um, Sauterne with big, strong blue cheese, whether it's mm, you know, yeah. still from England, that that's magic so stuff. Mm-hmm. You have that, you have that and warm toast and fire and you have like long winter's nap. Um, <laughs> <laughs> di- different ports, uh, Ruby port. Remember port is strong. Port is 20% alcohol. Uh, so you have to mind yourself on that stuff. Um, entry level port that they would call Ruby port. Believe it or not, can be really good with barbecue. Just uh, like what? pulled really? pork barbecue. Yeah. I've never well, had sauce, that. That's the fun. Sauce is, sauce is sweet. It's a little spicy. Yeah. yeah. And it works really well. It's, like I said, you have to mind yourself. Uh, yeah. That's, <laughs> and maybe a glass of water on the yeah. side. Wow. But Moscato, mm-hmm. this is going to sound silly, but Moscato falls into the, the breakfast wine category for, <laughs> for me. Moscato d'Asti, so from Pimonte, near Asti. Mm-hmm. Uh, is sweet and sparkling, but the alcohol is low. It's about 7%. Okay. So you, you can drink a glass and not have it be a, a strong thing. Mm-hmm. I, to me, it's like, let me have some peaches, uh, a little prosciutto or a speck or something in the morning, a toast, you know, that, sure. that, that and a glass of Moscato, is a, that's, that's a solid little breakfast. A little more charming than some breakfasts. Oh, and people in the South like to have sherry in the afternoon. And it always seems like they're nuts around for that. You know, different well, types sherry, of pecans. And- sherry, most sherry is savory. And and they want savory snacks, you know. Mm-hmm. And maybe something salty. So the, the pecans nicely toasted and salted. Well, and salt, salt gives... Uh, you know, it wants acidity. Let's let's take a quick break. I've got more emails to get back to. Uh, you can reach us 410-662-8780. Everyone's shy in sending their email comments. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've got to take a quick break on Formula Wolf on Food and Wine on WIPR. This is 88.1 WYPR. Welcome back to Foreman of Wolf on Food and Wine. I'm Tony Foreman. And Chef Cindy Wolf. And we're live today here on WYPR. You can reach us 410-662-8780 or email us. Uh, Everybody's doing it. Foreman Wolf at WYPR.org. What's true? They we are. have more emails to get to. They're all outside having fun. Yeah. Enjoying the beautiful, gorgeous day. Get, getting a tan and emailing with us. <laughs> <laughs> we, um, 
we've been talking about pairing up food and wine because that's been such a giant growing interest, uh, especially I would say in the last decade or so. It's funny how like it just wasn't necessarily a thing. And all of a sudden now it's like, what is exactly the thing that does this? Mm-hmm. Uh, and and that's kind of cool. I mean, people walk into wine shops the last decade or so with a bag from the grocery store and like, well, okay, with this, what do we need? Mm-hmm. That's great. Well, yeah, and look, look at the restaurant, it seems like we sell just a bunch of pairings and it just seems to be so really a popular, it's just easier for people. You know, they don't have to, they, they know you know and that that takes the work out of it if you consider it work. Yeah. yeah I mean, it's, I don't know. It, I mean, of course I think it's a fun pursuit to figure out, you know, that what, what's going to be most successful. And there's no one person that's going to have all the right answers for everybody's palate. Mm-hmm. That's just, that's just not going to happen. That That's why one of the reasons I, li- I like it, you know, having an exchange with people about uh, how that's going to work. So, Mm-hmm. We've got an email from Lisa about spicy food. I'm glad Cindy touched on curry. I love spicy food. I'm curious if there is a spice threshold where you might say, okay, this is just too spicy for any wine. If that threshold exists, what beverage do you switch to? I find the light seltzer on ice is perfect sometimes. Yes. Like a grapefruit seltzer. Mm-hmm. It just soothes and eases that spice a bit. But what would you recommend, alcoholic or non-alcoholic? Hmm. And I will, for me, I'm, I will admit that if, if I turn the corner into wine just can't work anymore, there's just too much heat, uh, I want beer. <laughs> okay. You know, and, and, and usually something kind of rich, actually. I don't need to finish it. I just need to survive the heat. <laughs> you know, for me, you know. for me, it's a Coca Cola. If it's really spicy, I really like a Coca Cola. Oh my god! <laughs> I, I'm sorry, it's true. I know, I know, <laughs> I know. You must have stock. Yeah. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, I, I think it does depend upon the particular spice, and of course, it depends upon the person. <laughs> there are also flavors in dishes that just don't like wine. Sometimes, I mean, there's not. I was trying to think of different kinds of tacos. Like, do I like, I mean, Lord knows that the world is consuming a lot of tacos and there are better mm-hmm. and better and better ones in Baltimore these days. Absolutely. Which is cool. Delicious. But if, if it falls within that spectrum of like, okay, this is not going to burn my face off. I want a glass of wine with it. <laughs> what, what, I don't, what I don't usually want is tannin, like red wine with tannin. Even if you have, let's say, carnitas or something, Mm-hmm. And you're trying to match up with that, uh, and it's not too spicy, but pretty spicy. It's funny. Like, there was a time when I would think, "Oh, some like big chunky fruity pizzeria would make sense." No, I would. I would try to keep the alcohol modest, keep the the fruitiness and the charm up, and and keep the tannin down. Okay. So that that might land you in, uh, you know, some. This is going to be simple. And and in your new favorite word, Cindy, I may land you with a Spätburgunder. Oh, yeah. There you go. Which is a, which is a German Pinot Noir. My last name is Wolf, after all. Yeah, there you go. So, <laughs> and he has an omelet. So can you say that again? Now. Say it again. Spätburgunder. Oh, all right. 
fun. <laughs> or one so, of those really big beers at the at the Hofbrau. That that would go well. That's ex- what you need. Exactly. Yeah. Ex- exactly. That's if mm-hmm. with with curry specifically, I have liked Alsace wine that was a little bit off dry. So Pinot Gris, uh, sometimes Gewürztraminer. I've I've had to be pretty successful, but if it gets past the point, no, <laughs> mm-hmm. it no longer works. Uh, let's see, we got an email from Gretchen. We eat mostly plant based. Pairings can be difficult. What to pair with aromatic veggies like asparagus and artichokes? I love this question, Gretchen. What about roots, especially beets and sweet potatoes and other roots on the sweet side? We also cook foods that often include cumin. How do you pair with cumin-based foods? These are really good questions and really useful this time of the year, too. Uh, Asparagus, there are a couple of things that I think are top of the pyramid for asparagus. Asparagus is such a particular flavor. I don't like it with other dishes on the same plate. The, The putting asparagus on the plate with your steak kind of thing. If you think about it, what do you want to drink for that steak? It's not going to be happy with the asparagus that you put with it. Maybe maybe it's a glass of Bordeaux or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, the white wine from the Veneto, uh, Suave, Suave Classico, uh, which is mostly or all Garganega is the grape, uh, can do really, really well. That's not high acidity, but it's high intensity. Uh, there's some fruity charm, but it's almost built more by bitterness than acidity. And that balances really well with the asparagus. And they show each other off. Uh, artichokes also work with suave, uh, but there are other options. And artichokes, I like Sylvaner a lot. Uh, Moluturgal, uh, really aromatic Central European grapes uh, that are lower in alcohol, good intensity, have acidity, but there's not searing the way that, say, Riesling can be. Uh, if the white is too sharp in acidity, uh, let's say like a Chenin Blanc can be, or two vegetal on its own, like Sauvignon Blanc can be. I don't love those with either one of those vegetables. Um, there is a grape uh, from the south of Italy, Fiano, that from the better places in uh, in and around uh, Naples where it grows uh, near there in the hills, like around Avellino and that sort of thing. Fiano d'Avellino is really, really great artichoke wine. So... And some of the wines I mentioned from Northwest Spain, uh, like the wines from Ribeiro, uh, that are from Trechadora, do well with that. With roots, uh, it depends on what else is on the plate on their own. Like you have a dish right now that's that's artichokes and beets and, and all kinds of charming veggies that I love. Alsace wine that's pretty dry, I would have with that in a heartbeat. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe even Grunewaldliner. Uh, if it's red... Rioja really does well with those sweeter root vegetables. Mm-hmm. So I would think about those. <clears throat> Rioja also does well with cumin. The last question that's there. Um, cumin can be a little bit odd with really, really fruity red wines for sure. And is, isn't a very, if you have a very floral wine also, it's a little strange with it. Those, those are not harmonious. Yeah, those works candy odd- can't go ahead. No, it's good. It works oddly well with Bordeaux. 
Come oh, good. Dishes. Yeah. That's interesting. Um, yeah, those candy striped beets on that vegetable plate with those baby artichokes and the dandelion greens. Oh, my goodness. They, when they come out of the oven, we roast them in a bed of sea salt. They just taste like what their name is. They taste just like candy. And they're so pretty. They're like pink to ruby red. And oh, my goodness. I love those beets so much. And it's fun to have the dandelion greens wilted on the plate with these vegetables because it gives sort of the herbaceous tone to the plate and it gives it some excitement like it just brightens the whole plate with those dandelion greens i I haven't worked that much with dandelion greens i have a lot lately um oh and tony it's good yes i was gonna say that i mean i like the i like that dish because it's the balance of sweet and bitter Mm -hmm. you know that's it's fun that and acidity well yeah that's yeah because of the artichokes we cook them in lemon juice with olive oil so they're pretty acidic so they're oh they're so good it's built almost more like an Italian dish than it is a French dish, which is not always your way. Right, right. You know, having yeah. bitter is, is one of the balancing points of that dish. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I made a the Sea Island white rice pea soup that I make. I added, uh, we had collard greens that we had cooked in uh, smoked ham hock broth. And the, the last time I made that soup, I added some of that smoked ham hock broth to the soup to fortify it. And I... I chopped some of the collard greens and added it to it. And that felt very Italian to me. Um, you know, it, 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 the flavors were so great and it was so nice to have those, you know, those wonderful greens in that soup to finish it. That's, that's the kind of soup that uh, Anona would, would add some maltagliata. What's so that? When you make sheets of pasta and uh-huh. you cut it into shapes, mm-hmm. you have all, you have all the, the rest that's left the scraps and, no, and nothing to do with it. <laughs> so you, you, you cut it up and it's sort of like quick, easy, you know, shapes, little, I love that. Like sort of diamonds and sort of, you know, little sticks and, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, just all kind of maltagliate means badly cut. Okay. And you throw those in the freezer and you, you pull them out when you make a soup like that. Huh. And you, uh, you know, you, you cook them in the soup. I love that. Yeah, and there's nice. your. I mean, basically, there's there's your meal. You know, you do you have that and uh, a, a couple of slices of salami and you know a couple mm-hmm. pieces of fruit or something, and you're all set. There you go, perfect, perfect Sunday sounds like. Yeah, you need just uh, an alianico from Basilicata and a nice nap. So, have you ever met a grape you didn't like, Tony? Like I don't like Viognier. No, right? Um, I I there are ones that I'm underwhelmed by. <laughs> or that, that I have less use for, let's say. Okay, all right. Petit has remarkable characteristics, but I don't find it has particularly noble aromatics, and I, I get very turned on by aromas. That's that's important. Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, Sauvignon Blanc has to be very, very, very particularly rendered um, in order for me to be happy about it. So, anyway, that's a that's a dangerous question. <laughs> So why don't you take a moment and tell people how to follow you on social media because we have to wrap up. Okay. Uh, you can follow me on Instagram as Cindy Wolf and on Facebook and Twitter as Chef Cindy Wolf. If you want to listen to this program or any one of our others, please go to the WYPR website, wypr.org. Look up the Foreman Wolf page and there's a full menu of goodies there for you. If you want to email with us, uh, foremanwolf at wypr.org if you want to follow my Instagram it's the real Tony Foreman and 
Cindy? Thank you so much for listening. Happy Sunday. Happy birthday, Odalette. Oh. <laughs>